Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Marson, Director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm the host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live seeks to engage the Christian message before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne. And do we have a live audience here today? Are they alive? Yes. Yes, there's a couple of... There's a couple of cheers and so on there. It's, fan- it's fantastic. And we also aim to have a little bit of fun. Who said exploring the big questions of life shouldn't be enjoyable? Now, modern Australian culture has been influenced, for better or worse, by Christianity. In fact, the Christian message dominates the history of Western civilization. And the birth of Christianity can be traced to the events of that first Easter week. Why is Easter so important? How could these events change the world? Over a number of sessions, we'll be engaging the events of that first Easter firsthand. And today we're looking at a parable. But before that, I'd like to introduce someone special. Some say when he eats alphabet soup, the letters in his bowl all align and rhyme. All we know is he's Cam, award-winning poet and performer. Please welcome Cam Simmons. Thanks very much. So I'm actually going to start with the Bible reading today. Luke chapter 20 and it's verses 1 to 19. One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit from the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant. But that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said... What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked this matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. Now, when the people heard this, they said, May this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. 
So I, I've been reading over that for the last week or so. And I was trying to work on it because I know uh, Robert wanted to particularly work on the parable here. But I kept coming back to not the parable because that's actually a really nice, tight little story. But just what Jesus says just before that. He basically, they come up, ask him a question, but he says, no, I've got a question for you. So I call this piece, Jesus is the question. And Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. What's your name? Why are you terrified? Who touched my clothes? Where have they laid him? How many loaves do you have? And Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. Do you have eyes and not see? Can the blind lead the blind? Who do people say I am? But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Did not the maker of the outside also make the inside? Why does this generation seek a sign? Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? And Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. Tell me, don't you understand this parable? No? Then how will you understand any parable? If I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe what I tell you about heavenly things? Please give Cam a round of applause. I'd like to invite our guest today, introduce our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Peter Adam. Peter is a Vicar Emeritus of St. Jude's Anglican Church in Carlton. And Peter was Principal of Ridley, Melbourne for 10 years and before that was a Vicar of St. Jude's for 20 years. Peter has spoken throughout the world and is the author of numerous books, articles and chapters. In 2012, Peter was awarded an OAM for his services to the Anglican Church and to theological education. Please welcome Peter Adam. Well, Peter, we're delighted that you can join us today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Rob. Okay, now, we're engaging the week that changed the world, and we're looking at a parable that Jesus told. Um, now, we'll chat about that in just a second. I might just invite Cam to come back up, um, because par- parables are, are a form of rhetorical device. And yeah. We thought we might get some input from our <laughs> rhetorician, okay, uh, all right, our resident yes. rhetorician, Cam. Yeah, but, yeah. Now, Peter, parables are different to parabolas, aren't they? <laughs> I believe so. So, what, tell us, what, what exactly are parables? subversive stories to make people think. Parables are like questions, aren't they? Yeah. It was a, it was a great poem, thank, thank you, mm. because it showed that Jesus wanted people to think. Yeah, yeah. And if they thought they were cornering him in a way, he was cornering them and saying, yeah. well, what are you going to do about all yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. So parables and questions, Jesus' parables and Jesus' questions yeah. do the same thing, I think. Yeah. But so, yeah. it was a clever way to communicate, it wasn't, because they, their question is by what authority mm. says, I won't tell you. Mm. And then he does by means of the parable, mm. in fact. Yeah, yeah, mm. uh, yeah. So it's a subversive story. So subversive is story. poetry, therefore, yeah. is poetry a form of parable then, Peter? Ooh. Should we mix our metaphors? <laughs> <laughs> I know. The similarity is the stimulation to think through and mm. reflect, isn't it? Mm. To stop and think about it. Yeah. But is it more than just to think, though? Because poets can make you think. Is there a, is a call to action as well? 
I think there is in poetry, isn't there? Mm. Uh, that is, there's some kind of response. Uh, poems, anyway, to me, mm. make me not just think, but uh, but respond in some way. Mm. Is that what you try to do in your poems, Cam? Uh, I, I think yes. Sometimes I think maybe a poem is more uh, just trying to capture even a feeling. Uh, so it's not necessarily trying to doesn't have such a strong message orientation or something. Um, so does this so say more about your poems, Ken? They're a bit more airy-fairy. Is, oh, is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> if anything, I'm quite message-oriented, um, right. whereas there's one end of poetry that's not message-oriented. It's about even, you know, some would say the musicality of language and meaning gets in the way. So I know some poets actually speak like that. So, so therefore, that's quite opposite to what a parable is. So there can be, I would say, poems that are parable-like and then poems that are in some ways very anti-that. In right. their concept, okay. so. But, but uh, mm. it's true with music and poetry, I think, that mm. to be presented with an emotion which you don't feel at the moment yourself mm. is a challenge to grow, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, to okay. To embrace that as part yeah. of humanity. Yeah, that's right. So in a much bigger sense, that's right. Mm. Oh, I like that. So, Peter, then, do you think that's one of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables? Yes, it's, it's, um, we often think of Jesus doing rote learning, but it, it was very subversive rote learning, which mm-hmm. you, you couldn't just think, here's the answer, that's easy. You meant, meant, you meant to think and think, oh, this is serious. I'll have to think about this. And that delayed response, I think, is because the response to be a follower of Jesus is more than, oh, that's a nice idea. It's, I'll have to change who I am to embrace this. Hmm. Well, maybe we should think more about this particular yeah. Well, Thanks very much for your, yeah. your comments there, Kevin. Thanks oh, very much thanks. for your that's poem right. again. Yeah, you can yeah. sit down and just think about some more airy-fairy poems or something. There's oh. something that's not going to force us to think too much. So let's talk a bit more about this parable. The, the context in which Jesus speaks here is, revolves around questions of authority. Jesus, uh, previous to this story, has just cleared the temple and the leaders come to him asking, they're in verse 2 or sentence 2, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. So why was the question of Jesus' authority important? Sure. Well, I guess if you've uh, just sorted the place out, uh, the question of authority Uh, is an obvious one. That is, who has the right to clean out God's temple in Jerusalem is the Mm. obvious question. But I think it's very interesting that actually his purpose in being there is teaching the people and preaching the gospel. That is, his purpose is educating the ordinary people. Mm -hmm. He's interrupted by the chief priests and elders, isn't he? Yes. Uh, And they they bring a question, by what authority? And they're saying, how dare you be here, really? What did the teachers of the law actually believe? Well, they, they were worried about John because he was uh, subversive of their authority and because he pointed to Jesus. So if they said John's authority is from God, then the obvious reply is, well, he, 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 he predicted my coming, talked about my coming, my mm. significance. So why don't you believe me? Yeah. But if they say, no, he wasn't from God, then the people will, will turn against them. So Jesus corners them very nicely, I think. Why, why have the people turned against them? Why, was that a, why would that have been an issue? A uh, problem for them? Because then the people would be believing what Jesus said, not what they said. Yes. They're the teachers of the law, they're the authority, and the crowds would turn against them. And their authority is being challenged. That's right. Yes. In this parable, the characters are deliberately and carefully chosen, aren't they? They represent characters in the real world. So tell us, walk us through the parable. Who, who do they represent? The bigger background to the story, I think, is that there's a parable in Isaiah in the Old Testament where God plants a vineyard and then gets very grumpy because it's unproductive. Mm. So it's a story with a deeper background, a resonance, I think, behind the obvious words. So the vineyard then is a picture of Israel then, or the people of God? The people of God, I think, yes. Yes. 
And it's striking that in the Isaiah parable, in Isaiah chapter 5, the vineyard is not productive, and that's, that's bad. But this is, this is a productive vineyard, but the leaders, the tenants, are hanging on to the money. So the, the edge of the parable is slightly different to the one in Isaiah. And, and the tenants are like, are like the Pharisees and Sadducees. Right, yes, the, right. Teachers, the, the, leaders, the leaders, the people who are controlling things, basically. And the man who planted the vineyard would represent God, God himself. Indeed. Uh, and the servants, who would, who would the servants be? I think Old Testament prophets. Indeed, another place in Luke, Jesus complains that uh, you know, he said, God sent messengers again and again, and the people haven't accepted them. Yes. Um, so there are the Old Testament prophets, I think, and John the Baptist. All right. Okay. You think mm. that you'd include John in yes, that? Yes, I would. That's that right. Yeah. Yes. The son himself. That must be Jesus, because it's a beloved son. So that 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 tells you in Luke's gospel, this is this represents Jesus. Yes, and that would be where he then begins to talk about his own authority, perhaps. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And his own dignity, that is, he's not just a messenger, he's the son and heir of the vineyard. He's God's son and heir. So he's actually making a very big claim about himself. At the same time as he tells, he predicts what's about to happen to him, that is, he will be killed. What ought these tenants have done? The tenants ought to have honoured the owner and sent the income which the owner uh, had a right to receive. Uh, what the um, leaders uh, didn't do was to welcome the prophets and then welcome the son of the owner. Mm. If they'd respected the owner, they would have respected the son. So it's such an upsetting story for them because if they don't accept the son of the owner, then they're actually rejecting the authority of the owner. Jesus is saying, you're not just going to kill me, but you're rejecting the authority of God who sent me. A friend of mine was uh, preaching on Good Friday and uh, many years ago in Holland, and he was asked before the service, what was the message of Good Friday? He said, given half a chance, mankind, forgive the dated language, given half a chance, man- mankind will kill its maker. So what the tenants are doing is not just rejecting the son of the, and son and heir of the owner, but the owner himself. Hmm. Often you see on these tabloids, TV shows, like Today Tonight, and they have these occasional stories about tenants from hell. There's tenants who, you know, trash the carpets and punch holes in walls. These tenants, do you think they're worthy of a Today Tonight expose? I think they are. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> it's copyright. We just copyrighted it, didn't we? Yeah. Sorry, we copyrighted it? Yeah, the idea, the idea. We get some money out of that. You oh, and sure. I. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. I'm not sure they're still around sure, to, sure. To, to actually try to film, but... Who did they think they were to do this? They were so sure they were on God's side that they were not willing to accept Jesus, God's son. So they they were illusioned people. They lived in illusion, thinking they were close to God when they weren't, which is a great tragedy. Mm. But one to which religious people are prone, I might say, is one of them. Yeah. Well, I suppose that this raises the point that religion is not always a force for good in the world. No, that's right. And that's obvious all around the world today. And it's a sad thing, but of course evil is always the corruption of something which is good, and nothing is so good it can't be corrupted by human beings. Uh, Marriage is a good gift, but it can be hell. Producing children is a great gift of God, but people can mess it up really badly. Government is a good gift of God, but people can do that very badly as well, and so on. And I suppose playing sport as well is a good gift sometimes? It is, it is, yeah. uh, Occasionally you lose your vertebrae. (laughs) You have accidents or you're just not very good sometimes. Or Or the point is smashing down other people because sport is based on opposition and defeating people. So that brings out a bad side in human life, I think. Yes, yes. 
so these tenants, they, were, they plotted to kill the son. They wanted him dead. Now, this is maybe a slightly controversial, offensive question, perhaps, but have you, have you ever wanted anyone dead? Um, yes, yes. Right. Well, uh, this is, okay, well, this is another expose about to happen here. Sure, mostly when I drive, actually. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, yes. Now, driving brings out the worst in my character, I'm afraid. I'm a competitive driver. What is it that makes you want someone dead? Well, I think to myself, I'm driving along this road, what that person doing in my way? That's, mm. that's how I think naturally. I might add, I've been trying to change my driving habits uh, recently because uh, I've realised that actually every person on the road is my neighbour and I should love them right. according to God. So I've been giving away to big trucks and letting, right. you know, <laughs> letting people come in and merge when they want to. Right. It's very stressful. Right. Uh, so you drive here today as a matter of... Uh, I came on a tram, actually. Oh, good, that's, that's right. good, yes. Yeah, just, that's so, right. just in case you're driving away, yeah, no, 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 just no, make sure safe. you look out for that's Peter right. on the road. Yeah. What's right. your, can you just... Just let us know your number plate. Sure. Just so, yes, sure, vehicle, sure, just so sure. that we know. Right. Yes. You want people dead because they get in your road. Yeah. Is this what was motivating the Pharisees? Yes, that's right. They, they were in power. They held the kind of key teaching positions in the land and the Sadducees had lots of control in the temple. Um, the Sadducees had a good arrangement with the Roman government so they didn't want to lose any power. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's, it's horrid being shown that you're wrong. <laughs> None of us likes that. And the, the ultimate question of authority is, is God the authority or am I? Religious people occasionally have the practice of subverting God's authority by taking it over and pretending it's theirs hmm. when it's not. Well, doesn't that provide a problem then for how do we then for know what is truth? Or how do we know what we're right? Yes, exactly right. Uh, and that's a great issue for our society, I think because this is, the focus in our society is on creating your own reality. You know, the world is what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, you don't have to live very long before you discover the world isn't what you want it to be, it's something else. And learning what the something else is, the bumpy edge of hard reality, true reality, is a great human lesson, I think. Mm. So then how do you deal with that in terms of recognising that maybe I'm not in control? Yes, it's a basic aspect of humility, isn't it? Saying, well, actually, the world is bigger than me. (laughs) I'm not the world. I'm not the creator. Someone else is the creator. Someone else orders reality. And I must be submissive and humble and patient in learning what God thinks about reality, how he perceives it. Mm. So you mentioned humility as a key virtue. Was that something that you would say characterised these teachers of the law? Well, I guess they were humble learners of their trade, but uh, often, uh, as Paul says, indeed, knowledge puffs up. That is, you think you've, when you know a certain amount, you think you've got things sorted out and you can't learn new things. And that's a danger for all of us, I think, in any area. Uh, I mean, particularly you're, you, a former principal of a theological college, like yeah. that was obviously a place of learning. It, it was meant to be, yes. It was, I think. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but uh, when, you're t- when you're teaching, uh, I used to love question student students asked me because I learnt so much from the questions and was forced to think very quickly and deeply about what I just said. Mm. So I think uh, for me being a Christian believer and a Christian minister is being a lifelong learner. Mm. I'm, I've learnt new things looking at this parable that I've preached on many times but never seen before. Mm. So I think that I think being willing to listen and learn is a key human uh, aspect of our humanity and a key to getting to know God. Mm. Mm. Well, actually, we've got a couple of questions here we might just feed into the discussion. So someone's asked what application there is for the modern church. Sure. 
Well, uh, we can think of three audiences with this parable, can't we? We can think of the people as the audience. They, they hear it. Jesus tells it to them. We can think of the chief priests and the, uh, the Pharisees. But the third audience, of course, is the, is the one for whom Luke writes the gospel. That is, he includes this parable in his gospel. He writes this gospel for a man, Theophilus, about whom we know nothing, but he was obviously a Roman official of some kind. And, Paul, uh, and Luke, rather, wrote to him, knowing that writing to him would be a way of getting the message out to other people. It was a kind of a, 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 a form of that day where you wrote to an important person, but your real target audience was lots of people who'd never met Jesus. Mm. And the people, including ourselves, we, we, were, we weren't part of this discussion. We've got Luke's record of this parable. What does it teach us, is the question. Well, it teaches us to think carefully about authority and who has it and whether we are subverting God's authority, that is, taking authority which doesn't belong to us. And it teaches us, I think, that uh, we have to take account of God's son and his death because that's a key to the meaning of the parable and thus a key to the meaning of human lives as well. Mm. Someone's asked, if Jesus was to have arrived in our day and performed miracles, would he be accepted? Well, uh, he would at the, f at the first instance, I think, because our scientific world uh, discounts miracles. So if someone actually comes and does them, it's a great shock. Mm -hmm. So people who don't believe in miracles are then suckers for the supernatural. Something supernatural happens and they are all agog and think this must be really important. So in a way, our, uh, our view of society that miracles don't happen, if that is what people think, means us more, leads us more vulnerable to Jesus' miracles. But the point is that Jesus doesn't just do miracles. He teaches people and questions people, as we've seen, and challenges them to change the way they think. Anyone can like a miracle worker as long as you like the miracles. Mm. How lovely to have a miracle of feeding. I wonder if I have a miracle of healing. We'd, we'd applaud those. But the well, moment I Jesus... if there's a free lunch on offer. Exactly uh, right. We could, we yes. could all enjoy a... A healing uh, and a free lunch. Uh, that's right, really yeah, good. that's right. I can pick that's my back right. and, I can right. have a, and I can have yeah. a prawns for lunch. How does that sound? Yeah, but what right. we wouldn't like would be Jesus' teaching, I think. That why, wouldn't be why, so welcome. Why, why is that? Because Jesus' teaching challenges everyone to change the way they live and to trust in him and believe in him and accept him mm. as, the, as the unique son of God and saviour. And whether you're you know, wealthy or poor or happy or sad, uh, whatever your political view, uh, Jesus would, I think, be a great challenge. Mm. Jesus, indeed, is a great challenge. Yes. Well, let's continue our reflection on the parable itself, because the parable doesn't end with the son being dead. Uh, so what's the significance of the ending of the parable? Yes, well, uh, actually, the, 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 the parable ends with what will Leah over in the vineyard do to them. And you're meant to think, well, the reasonable thing would be to come and get rid of the tenants, basically. That's the obvious thing to do. What else do you do with people who don't pay the money? Mm. Uh, but the language is very violent, isn't it? Not just throw them out, but kill them and give the vineyard to others. And that's saying that the authority of the Pharisees and Sadducees will soon end and the authority of Jesus' disciples will replace their authority. Mm. So that's a big warning. Mm. And the response of the people is, may this never be. That is, they're so shocked at this dreadful ending. Uh, and we should see the parable, of course, as an invitation to the Pharisees and Sadducees to repent. Mm. That is, it isn't, the parable isn't happening. The parable's a warning. And as we know, some of them did turn to 
God and repent of their actions and believe in Jesus Christ later on. So the parable had a good result among the Pharisees and Sadducees. But notice, uh, after the people say, may this never be, it sounds so shocking, Jesus looked directly at them. This isn't the parable. He asked then, what is the meaning of what is written? That is from the Old Testament, from Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. That's the warning. The stone. What's, what's a capstone? Uh, a, a, either a stone which is the foundation of a corner, or the capstone which keeps the corner in place. So it's a it's a stability feature of a building. Right. So if you're playing the game, have you ever played the game Jenga? No, I haven't. No. Oh, okay. I've watched other people do it and thought that doesn't look like me. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. In Jenga, if you pull out one of the bottom pieces on the side, then yes. the whole thing falls over, and that's yes. the purpose of the capstone, is it? That's right. To hold the thing together. Oh. And then he, say, he adds, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. In other words, if you trip over Jesus, that is, if he's an embarrassment to you, a scandal, then if you, if you reject him, you'll be, you'll be broken in pieces, that is. But he on whom it falls, that is, if a capstone falls on you, that is, you're judged by God, then you're crushed. So he's saying, uh, right in front of you now is a stone which the builders are rejecting, but is actually God has made the capstone the head of the corner. Hmm. So responding to this parable really depends on your view of Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, if he wasn't who he claimed he was, then you could ignore him. But if he was who he claimed he was, then you need to heed or listen. Yes, that's right. It's like he, the parable, is, there's, little, there's many parables. People are building, they find a capstone, reject it, throw it away. And uh, people who walk by trip over it or it crushes them when it when it falls so Jesus is saying how what you think about me is of fundamental importance it's a life and death matter so how then does this parable relate to the question of authority well he he's claiming great authority isn't he because he's saying that your response to him is a response is your response to God how you treat Jesus is how you treat God so people who trust Jesus are trusting God and those who distrust Jesus are distrusting God. Those who neglect Jesus are neglecting God. So you can't have God without Jesus. Jesus is the kind of face of God on earth, if you like, the revelation of what God's like. So uh, what Jesus thinks God thinks, what Jesus says God says, what Jesus does God does. And so he is like, not just that we can think, well, God's a long way away, I can ignore him, but here is God in person in front of us in his Son. And that forces us to a decision. Mm. Well, Jesus is either right about that or he's wrong. If he's wrong, what we think about him doesn't matter. If he's right, then we should take him very seriously and thus take his word seriously. Terrific. Well, today we've been seeing something of the vision behind the week that changed the world. Whilst the religious leaders think that they'll win by killing Jesus, they'll ultimately be destroyed. And let me leave you with the Logos for the day. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Please thank our guest today, Reverend Dr. Peter Adams.